Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. writer, player of games, writer, forge, recorder of videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rime of the Frostmaiden. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There will be lots of spoilers. Do my D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link into the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. And for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Greetings, Stan. Good afternoon, CT. Christopher. Please give Chris a big thumbs up for his running of Storm King's Thunder. I always do. He did, he did do amazing. Um, you know, I've always maintained that my favorite... I don't I don't know if I actually even like Storm King's Thunder that much as a campaign. I think it's really messy. Um, and it's really bizarre. And, and the Dragon Heist does this as well, where they they create mutually exclusive content to where the, the story is meant to not use... Uh, you're meant to choose paths. In this case, you're meant to only pick one of the big, grand, awesome, like, giant dungeons to even run. Um, I think you always do the Storm Giant one in the end, but... Uh, I always thought that was bizarre, and, and that whole game is very odd. It's just very much running around doing things. But yeah, the way the, the changes he made, the the enhancements to the story, and focusing on a lot of character developments that we had were all absolutely wonderful. So I agree, but definitely huge thumbs up to that. But it's it is a tricky, daunting campaign to run. I think I, however, am running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, which is not quite as tricky from a content standpoint. It's all obviously nice Dale, but it's the biggest changes I've had to make are for the main story. I've really had to kind of twist myself into pretzels uh, in order to make the main story work and double down on like the arcane brotherhood um, and create a, a, a through line between the beginning of the story, which is all kind of the Dwerger threat. And then we transition into um, worrying about uh, the, um, oral, like, you know, searching for the Arcane Brotherhood and the fact that the Arcane Brotherhood actually uh, inadvertently started by by finding Aetherin buried in the glacier. They kind of um, provoked Aurel's ire and that started the entire uh, Everlasting Rhyme problem. So it all is kind of linked together. And the Dwerger are basically just opportunistic villains that, you know, worked out well as early game villains. Um, currently, my players have uh, taken control more or less of it ascendant so they are now in possession of their own little alien nautiloid spaceship and their next destination is going to be with the goliaths um on monday we talked about worm doom crag which i can kind of 
go over a little bit again. Uh, but mostly we're probably going to talk about the second half of the Goliath journey, which is going to be Sky Tower Shelter, plus um, implementing content from the Worm Doom uh, hunt, uh, which is on the DMs Guild by Dan Kahn. And I've pretty much gutted everything about that mission except for the actual maps, which I will be using. So at Worm Doom, we've got the Chwingas, which will follow certain players around and try and uh, get them to role play or interact with them. And if they do, they will end up with a reward, possibly a supernatural charm that they can use. Uh, if not, then they don't get any reward, but that'll only be for while they're in Worm Doom Crag. Uh, when they arrive, the uh, Goliaths here will be playing the Goat Ball, which you can't see it right now because it's supposed to be an elevated platform. I guess I could create... Okay, I think I already did create that, actually. So if you end up going up here... You actually get to see out. There we go. That's pretty cool. That's the two-way dynamic lighting in action right there. So you step up, and now you can see out because it's 20 feet up right here. Uh, more importantly, Kapunuk is there. Uh, he will introduce, you know, the party and basically thank them for showing up here. And a lot of the Goliaths, um, these, this particular Goliath tribe is, is fairly friendly, but still kind of isolationist. So they're not really super aware of what's going on. Kapunuk has basically told them, and they're all um, mostly incredulous about the things that he's gone through. Um, and, you know, maybe they're thinking about, you know, sending out some people to 10 towns just to make sure. But Kapunuk definitely wants the players to be here so that they can corroborate his story about the Shardle and Dragon and the Dwerger and all these terrible things that have happened. Um, in Ten Towns, and what I what I would hope is that the players take the initiative and really try and convince the Goliaths to like help out in like humanitarian efforts or um, whatever means they can, like supplies and and just able-bodied people to help maybe build homes or something to help their kind of neighbors. And if they don't, then Kapunuk or the chief will certainly. Um, or Kapunuk will probably want to do that. The chief, however, will tell them that they are currently feuding with the other major rival tribe, which um, is the Sky Tower Shelter. I forget the name. I think that's one Akanathi, and these guys are the Thunlakalagas. Um, I really got to nail down some pronunciation so I don't sound like a dumbass. Is there going to be ability checks for sports and such? Uh, yeah. I, one thing we could do is maybe try and develop a better system for that. What I've talked about previously is during the epilogue sequence for the Goliaths is um, we do kind of a Winter Games event when the two Goliath tribes do come together in mediation. We can do a fun little Winter Games thing. And there's no real, like, uh, stakes. It's really kind of just for funsies. But maybe, you know, they can win fabulous prizes or something. I don't know. Um, but in so in that case, we can develop some more interesting uh, games and, and have all these different... Uh, systems and, and things for the players to do that are all sports related because that's what especially this tribe of Goliaths are all about being sports jocks for the initial games for worm doom crag i don't know how advanced i want to get because i've got plans for a more advanced one later um what's written is kind of disappointing it's literally well i i i did talk about this so uh what's written is that everybody oh shoot is it not where is it included here I know everybody makes an athletics or acrobatics check. Maybe it's... Okay, here it is under Goat Ball. 
uh, to determine the outcome of a goat ball game, which it's supposed to be two teams of four each. You can obviously play around with the team numbers. Uh, have each player in the game make a strength, athletics, or dexterity acrobatics check and add up the totals for each team and the team with the highest total wins. <laughs> it's pretty much the easiest baseline, you know, hey, I hope we roll really well for that, which is fine, I guess. There's not even like a series of games, though. It's just like you play the one and that's it. So obviously, um, I hope that the players can embellish that in some ways. Uh, you could even go full on, like put everybody in, in initiative order and let them take turns. And like, here's the things you could do. Like you could go crazy with the mini game thing if the players really want to be involved, in which case maybe I could do that. Just throw some, you know, relatively easy to run uh, rules and, and include some friendly wagering or betting. I bet the players would be pretty excited about doing that because we really haven't been able to do anything like that for a while. The last couple places have all been very, you know, dangerous, hostile environments where it's been a lot of combat and traps and danger. And this is a chance for the players to kind of just hang out and have fun uh, and have essentially just a big social uh, endeavor, even though there is a full map here, which is interesting. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and throw the players onto this map, which I guess I can go ahead and let them, allow them to, I, I can't really stop them from doing this um, in terms of long resting on the ship. Like, I know that um, pacing-wise it works better if they don't because uh, they only had, I think, the two battles and it drained them pretty well so that they would be, you know, ripe for uh, doing some, uh, a short rest here that would be pretty meaningful, but I can't really stop them from long resting on the ship. Um, because it is a relatively safe place for them. Maybe they would have misgivings about, um, I, I admit, you know, they'd have to have some kind of plan, and they don't, they don't necessarily trust the Mind Flayer, which is uh, probably a good thing to not trust him. But I'm sure the players can come up with something to where they can rest in relative safety and, and get their long rest. So I don't, I don't have a good way of uh, limiting them, other than the fact that they didn't long rest that long ago, so they'd have to spend just all day in there. But there's not really a, a hard time limit. I don't like time limits in D&D regardless. And I know that's always such a big thing you're supposed to do to, to create that uh, the pacing and limit the players on long rest, which is why I'd rather just hard limit them like a video game and say, you can't rest here versus like, oh, no, you can't rest here because of this, this, this reason. <laughs> um, the players long rested two sessions ago. Then they traveled for a couple hours it was going to be a pretty long travel to get to the Goliath, and then halfway through, they ended up detouring up to it Ascendant. So it's probably halfway through the day. Um, I would encourage the players to get a short rest and continue on their journey, but I'm not sure, unless you all have a good idea, I'm not sure how I can prevent them uh, from actually long resting before doing the Goliath. Even though pacing-wise, and at their level especially, it would work better if I continued to challenge them more times to where we could hopefully get through more of the Goliath stuff before they actually have to hunker down for a long rest because I think we can, you know, assuming they go straight here and they go to a sky tower shelter via the ship, they can do all of that in a day. And that would be really proper uh, pacing. Howdy Bucky Ranch. Campaign soaring it myself and also have an artificer. Take the laser rifle. It's unlimited ammo from one of the abilities. All right. Uh, to I have a question for you. Did your DM allow you to apply your proficiency bonus to your laser rifle? Because that's also something we kind of need to talk about um, from a descendant is the loot that I can divvy out to the players. Um, in fact, I kind of skipped over that on Monday. We can go back to a descendant briefly about that. Because 
that might be the big limiting factor on the laser rifle, but also, unfortunately, might swing the pendulum too far and make it so the players aren't going to use it because they're like, well, fuck, if I can't use my plus four proficiency bonus right now, I don't want to use this weapon, even if it has, you know, pretty good damage. I will show you what I've done to uh, kind of play around with that. thought I had it under laser, or maybe I just changed the existing one. There we go, laser rifle. Okay, so... In the book, the two Ceramorphs have laser pistols, which obviously the players can loot both of those because they basically disarmed the other. They killed one and disarmed the other. And then there are three usable laser rifles in a crate. So my plan was a laser rifle is a ranged weapon, uses a character's dex modifier with attack rolls, just like, like a bow, but characters may not use their proficiency bonus because nobody is proficient with such a weapon. You've never even seen this before. Um... So in other words, you would only be able to get your plus to your dex modifier, which, again, at this level, level 9, that's going to feel really painful because they have a plus 4 proficiency bonus. However, the damage is really good. The target takes 3d8 radiant damage. I think that's a chromatic orb. That's a first-level spell slot. So that's a kind of risk-reward there. You might have a harder chance to hit, but the damage does better. Um, and then my rules are, so in the book, you have to make two intelligence checks um, and then you can operate it, I believe. In mine, I'm going to say, okay, you have to make four intelligence checks, but you only have to make two to be able to operate it. The other ones determine basically how many bullets you have, and it is a finite amount. Once those shots are used up, then that's it. I probably need to lower the number of bullets because the amount of bullets, and I'm using the term bullets, obviously it's not literal bullets, but you know what I mean. Uh, the, the number of shots, I guess I should say, that you get with this thing is insane. I believe you get uh, 30 uh, with the rifle and 50 with the pistol. Like, you almost might as well not even keep track, because I don't think you would ever run out of that, even if you're shooting this thing all the time in combat. That's a lot of shots. I don't, I don't, it would be interesting to track if somebody, if you were to deduct every time somebody used a ranged weapon in a campaign, how many times they would actually go through it. Um, obviously, I guess it depends on if you're, I know uh, my character, uh, was it Kalen, uh, would, with the crossbow feet, was like firing three shots most rounds. But still, uh, that's a lot of shots. So I might need to lower this number because I was using the number they gave me. But I said, okay, it's uh, DC 15 intelligence checks, um, and then you make four of them. After four of them, you roll a 1d8 plus 1 for each success beyond the first. So to a maximum of 3d8 plus 3, and then that determines the number of shots that can be fired using the energy cell. So I made it so basically the very best you can roll is pretty much the number of shots that this thing would normally come with. So I, I lowered the number of shots just because it sounded really crazy. Let's actually see what that looks like, 3d8 plus 3. This is assuming, and again, you, you might not succeed at all of these. So if you succeed at all of them, there we go. That seems more reasonable. Those, are, those numbers are all over the place, anywhere from 8 to 19. So maybe an average of like 15 shots. That sounds like you've got enough that you can use it, but it still seems decently finite. Um, however, if you were to succeed at only two of those rolls, then guess what? You only get 1d8 plus 1, because the first one is just to be able to operate it, and then basically each one beyond that is uh, to determine how many shots you actually get. So there you go. If you only succeeded at two checks, you would only get six shots which is still a usable thing. The thing is, it just never recharges. It's the only thing you get. But, here, oh, that's a good point. Uh, crits are amazing. Um, 
But the other thing is, there are three of these rifles, so you also get multiple chances. And there's nothing that's saying that the same PC can't just look at all three rifles and and make all those checks. However, that means that only that PC would be able to operate it. The weird thing is, the rules that I've got means that the first person who um, looks and does all that determines the actual shots, which means I would have to do a weird thing where... If somebody else wanted to use the laser rifle later, they would have to make the rolls, and then that means they could end up with more shots, maybe, because maybe they just may be able to fiddle with it and end up with more shots, which could happen, I guess. It's a sci-fi weapon. They can pull shots out of their ass when it comes to it. So it's kind of weird that the shots can be a bit nebulous because it's not in a tunable weapon, so it can actually be switched around. But the bad thing is, I, I don't think my players would take advantage of that. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I would need to have more strict rules if I was playing with players that were really like, oh, well, we'll just pass this thing around and everybody can make shots. I probably need to have a rule where um, after the shots have been determined, then that's it. That's how many shots it has. Somebody else would still have to then make the two checks to be able to operate it. But just the first time somebody examines it, looks at it, that's how many shots it has. So that would probably be the fine print uh, that I would need to add to it. And then the pistol is similar, but... Um, the numbers are different. It does less damage, but has a chance to have more shots. So in this case, it's the same intelligence checks. It's the same four checks, but then you get to roll a 1d10 plus 2 per success beyond the first one to a max of 3d10 plus 6 to determine the number of shots, but it just does less damage. It does 3d6. So if you were to, example, succeed on two of those, 2d10 plus 4 then that would give you somewhere around like 15 shots from a laser pistol. So again, you don't get your proficiency bonus, so you're only looking at, you know, what's the average dex of these? I mean, obviously Thimbleweed's probably got a plus 4 or plus 5, so he would be the best um, recipient for using this since he's the ranger. Yeah, he's got a plus 5. Um, you, I was thinking about at one point making a rule where you could use intelligence instead of dex, but it is still a rifle. Like it's not just a targeting computer. You're having to shoot people, so that is dex. I mean, Edmund's got a plus two. That's not bad. The nice thing is dex. Dex is an over. Um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but is it's probably the MVP stat for D and D because it's initiative, it's armor class, it's ranged weapons. You know, it's a lot of really important saving throws. Like, nobody dumps decks if they can help it. Like, it's just really, really good. Unless you are just a walking tank with a lot of armor, in which case you're accepting that as a pretty nasty um, disadvantage. But nobody wants to dump decks, so everybody's going to have a pretty decent amount. Actually, Celeste probably's got great decks, too. Yeah, plus four. So, it might not be the end of the world. Like, a lot of people could use these, and I'm not restricting it to, um, you know, having to have certain stats or anything catch up on the chat for a second. Yeah, last might be interested in helping two towns exchange for metal items. Let's see if there's any their own smiths. They actually do have their own smith that's uh, here in W3. Um, a renowned smith, in fact, uh, who, who perhaps can in enhance uh, Frey's axe with another enchantment, but that would be the culmination of her uh, helping the Goliaths and getting that quest done. I agree. Uh, Scorn King's Thunder was fine. I think... Obviously, Chris did a great job with Storm King's Thunder and made it awesome, but the actual campaign as written is uh, very tricky. <laughs> it has been a few sessions since goats. There's no goat in this one, is there? They've been dropping the ball lately. I was, you know, we've been making jokes about how there's been goats in like every single map and dungeon area, and now no goats. There's Twingas in this one, and I believe there's obviously Griffins at Sky Tower Shelter. No goats. Current sports champions are actually goats. <laughs> Oh yeah, the new Thor. I love the goats in the new Thor. I don't know what happened to those goats. 
They get half proficiency bonus until they have fired ten times. That's interesting, but a little fiddly. No proficiency. He just removed the action to reload. Um, well, I think if you look at the rules for reloading, which I don't think are actually in the compendium, or at least not that I can see. See if I can look it up. Um, reload um, only matters if it has whatever shots you have. Re you take the reload action or bonus action, I think, in order to basically put another magazine in the firearm. However, in this case, you only have the one magazine. Um, there is so there's no reloading. It just has a finite. It just has a huge one. It has a huge magazine with you know whatever shots you've got. It could be 15, 20 shots, um, and then once that's out, you're done. So there is no. So I don't even think that's a DM thing to remove the reload. I don't think, I mean, technically it has the reload function, but there is no reload on it. I guess the only way you would do that is is if you, um, I guess if you were carrying multiple laser rifles, or maybe, maybe the players decide, okay, I'm going to inspect all the rifles, I'm going to look at how many shots each one has, I'm just going to take... If I allow it, I might not allow it. I might say, like, there's no way these things are bonded to the gun or something. But you could take, like, the magazine out and then have that on you. And then that would allow you to use the reload function. So that would be the only way to do it. But I could also limit that and just say there's no, um, you know, the, that's beyond your understanding or something. I don't know. But yeah, crits would be amazing because 3D8, you get to just roll that again. That's a shit ton of damage. I'm nearly the only one to use it because they reload infusion from being an artist. Yeah, I'm interested about the reload thing because that doesn't, I don't think that comes into play because the shots on the on both of these were literally the size, the entire size of the magazine. So I don't know why um, you would ever have to reload these weapons. Unless, again, unless you took, instead of having both pistols and just drop one and have the other one, you for some reason just took the magazine out. Basically, wands of chromatic orb. Yes, basically... That's that's actually a good point, because um, chromatic orb is an attack roll, also, isn't it? They're kind of worse than chromatic orb because you don't. Or, do you get your proficiency bonus of chromatic orb? Make a ranged spell attack. I think you usually get to add your proficiency bonus to spell attacks. But I think it's slightly worse, although it has better range. Slightly better range. So yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> Very similar, and that anybody can use. Chromatic Orb also technically costs 50 gold every time you cast it, which is something that I believe I did add to my house rules, which is not technically a house rule, it's as written, but I think a lot of DMs forget about the fact, and I, we obviously we never use components or anything, that's just a pain in the ass, but you're technically supposed to, you know, on, uh, what is it, Resurrection, or, excuse me, Rev Revivify, and some other things that actually have a substantial material cost to it, I don't like that. I think you should just balance spells to where they don't use material costs. Uh, and if you feel like they need that, then make them a higher spell slot or, or something. Or I don't know. But it, it feels weird to me. Or just um, in my universe, I would just magically deduct. <laughs> that might have been to say you don't necessarily have a diamond. It'd be like magically deduct 50 gold from your fucking character sheet at that point. It's just uh, upkeep. But uh, that is technically as written as Chromatic Orb costs you 50 gold every time you cast it, which is so not worth it at that point, even though it's a relatively good spell for a first level spell slot. Just make it a higher spell slot and don't cost money. I didn't allow purchasing bonus on laser rifles. My party's rogues still use it in certain situations versus vampires because it's radiant damage or versus low AC baddies. Excellent points all around. Very true. Yeah, if somebody... If it's just a monster that doesn't have a super high armor class, then you can use that and it does a lot of damage. Also, if... 
a monster is uh, resistant to you know regular bludgeoning, piercing, all that stuff, then um, doing radiant damage would be pretty damn good too. Yeah, it was a bolt action rifle or something. It was a bit ago. Yeah, that's not the case. Um, from what I understand, literally the because it it doesn't say it here in roll twenty, but I believe a pump loaded shotgun for a, for an energy cell. Uh, I get if you look at Fallout, they've got all that, don't they? But uh, as far as I was reading it, I believe that uh, the entire shot, because it says shots whatever, like if you look at the revolver stats, it has shot six. Well, the laser rifle literally says like shots 30. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up. Don't think it's, I'm trying to pull it up on the book. Ascendant. Laser. In the case of the laser pistol, it just says the weapon can fire 33 shots before its energy cell is drained. Oh, sorry. Rules for laser pistol appear in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, well, maybe it is in here then. If we can... Let's just search laser. There we go. Okay. I want to double check. I might be making all this information up. Yeah, so look at this. Uh, well, shoot. Is it cutting off? Uh, I don't know if you can see what I... Maybe I can... Reduce the size of this window. There we go. I don't want to cut this part off. So if you look, it says uh, ammunition reload 50 shots, which to me says you can shoot 50 times before you have to do the reload action or bonus action. Yeah, it says action or bonus action. A limited number of shots can be made with open as a reload property. Uh, so you never have to reload this thing because that's the maximum number of shots it's got. And I think that's the advantage to, to wielding a weapon like this is specifically because it's not limited to bullets that you have to chamber you know, into the weapon. Instead, it's just this, I picture the, I think Mass Effect described it as like a cell and the gun like superheats parts of this brick that like fires forward so that the huge advantage is you never have to reload it. But, you know, eventually it just becomes non-functional once it goes through its entire cell. But I have no problem with somebody carrying around like three laser rifles and just, you know, going after each one when they go through them. So that's my plan. Hopefully it's interesting. Um, like I said, it does take intelligence checks to be able to wield it. So that will limit the number of characters. Uh, but not necessarily because it just determines how many shots you got. So all you need is two successes in order to be able to operate it and have any shots. So anybody could, I think, be able to make two out of four successes for DC 15 intelligence checks. I mean, even the goddamn barbarian who was able to make all those stupid freaking saves against my uh, mind witness defenses. <laughs> Way too strong the way we used it. Interesting. So that's my plan. Oh, and um, oh, it requires, oh, that's a good point, Stan. You're, you're, uh, you did correct me on that one. Um, Chromatic Orb requires the gem but does not consume it. That is a good point. You just have to have a 50 gold piece gem. It was part of a one-time purchase. All right, that's obviously a lot better. I misread that one. I guess you have to really <laughs> read the fine print because some of them consume the uh, material and others do not. Uh, the other thing I wanted to give out, because Frey was such a big fan of having dynamite, uh, and I think would be a little more fun to wield, would be grenades, which are also, I believe, in the Dungeon Master's Guide... Uh, we've got, uh, which I believe, uh, James suggested a grenade launcher. That feels a little bit too much to me, but surely we can do a frag grenade. Now, this one, I guess you could also require an intelligence check. And what's funny is you could have this explode in their face if they don't, 
uh, quite get it right just to be able to know how to operate it because technically you'd have to be able to push a button or pin or something. I don't think it would be nearly as complicated as wielding a gun, so it would be far fewer intelligence checks, but I could add a fine print where you have to roll uh, something to be able to understand it. Uh, which I think is, is it, let's see, for firearms? Not quite. There's a rule for uh, understanding like modern era equipment or something. It's in the Dungeon Master's Guide somewhere, 260 something I believe. I only know that because I've been checking it a lot lately. Let's see, firearms. Ignition, burst fire, reload, explosives, which is literally pretty much the same rule as the dynamite. Uh, would it be considered alien technology? A character must succeed on a number of intelligence checks based on the complexity of the item. Two successes for a simple item and four successes for a complex item. So in my case, technically, it is two successes to be able to wield a rifle or pistol, but it requires more successes to be able to get as much um, ammo in order to get more juice out of it. So it's basically how efficient you are with the weapon. So I could rule that the grenade only takes one success to use um, properly and then maybe add some rules where if you fail badly enough not only do you not figure it out but it blows up in your face <laughs> but you would only have to make that roll once and then you could just use that item it wouldn't be per item but I like the idea of, of having in addition to the laser rifles having some grenades in there now that begs the question of why weren't the mind players using this stuff like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> they honestly they didn't get many turns to even use them. I think the they only had the one turn because Celeste did a great job of distracting the one that was hostile down below, and then she surprised attack and stunned him, which was a great move. And then during his one turn that he had, he used his mind blast, which I still think was the right call. Just happened to have the freaking barbarian be able to make a save against an intelligence uh saving throw. And that was ultimately his undoing, and he was murdered like the next round, so <laughs> didn't have a chance to use all his fancy alien technology. Failure means that you are in the blast radius. Yeah, well, would you would you rule that you have to, I don't, what I don't want to do is you have to make an intelligence check each time, because then Freddy would never use the damn thing, because that's just too dangerous. I would rule that you only have to make that check once, and then you know how to use that item, basically. Um... But if you fail that check, uh, maybe I would I would say that you can try again during your next short or long rest um, to where you can use that item. Otherwise, because the bad thing is it's not like I can impose disadvantage because I believe you literally just throw the damn thing. Um, and then everybody else makes a dexterity saving throw within 20 feet. So there's not really a penalty I can say maybe uh I, I don't know it, it feels weird to just say like you don't know how to operate this thing but that's kind of what I'm going with is like it's just it's a weird you know it's got some doohickeys on it and you're just not sure that's probably what I would go with is in order to um wield this object you have to make one intelligence check if you don't succeed you just don't get to use the item yet but you can try again during your next rest if you fail badly enough, then the item 
blows up in your face and, and it goes off, essentially. Everybody has to make the save suddenly. And then you can still try and repeat the save for future items. But if she does it, like, in the middle of a bunch of other grenades, that's probably going to be a problem. Experience is a wonderful teacher if you live. <laughs> if you miss an attack by X exposing your face as well. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not an actual attack roll. Um, that would be a good one, but... It's uh, it's basically like you're casting a spell at a point you can see, and then everybody around that spell has to make a save. So the only thing you could limit is like range, or uh, I don't know, maybe you have to make a roll to determine where it actually lands, but that gets a little fiddly as well. Like, okay, give me a d4, d8 to determine what direction you actually threw it in, but that, uh, that feels weird because there's no... You're not. You're, you're never making a check to throw the damn thing. But you could limit the ramp to 60 feet away. So that's an interesting rule. Um, let's look up what I did for laser rifle and copy and paste that. And I think that should do it enough. For, well, actually, that's not. There is more loot to be found here. <laughs> let's copy this one. Understand a weapon of advanced alien technology. A character must succeed on... Operate, well, okay, I'm using generic, uh, in order to understand and operate this weapon of advanced alien technology, a character must need on one DC-15 intelligence check. Um, one success means you can operate any weapons of this type. Failure means you must try check again during the next short or long rest. You fail by or really if you roll if you just get under ten, I think, which would be pretty uh probably gonna happen for the barber. Although then she could make, you know, one of her other checks. You know, this is a case where um you could use Bardic Inspiration, you you know, there's different things you can use. Fail by five or more. Grenade explodes in your face. 20 foot radius. Bum, bum, bum. Want to understand and operate this weapon advanced technology. Character must succeed on one DC 15 intelligence check. Which I'm, I'm telling you, you know, it's 15. One success means you can operate any weapons of this kind. Sorry. Of this type. Failure means you must try the check again during the next short or long rest. Use it. Must try again. Alright. And then as an action. Uh, once. Learn how to. Well, I don't know. This, this is assumed. As an action, a character can throw a grenade up 60 feet away. Each character within 20 feet of an exploding fragment. Station grenade must make a DC 15 deck save, taking 5d6 piercing damage on a failed saber hasmon, which is from the Dungeon Master's Guide. And then I added uh, in the book there's a smoke grenade, which I thought more interesting would be a flashbang. Uh, which I said uh, basically the same thing, each is floated 60 feet away, each creature within 20 feet of an exploding flashbang grenade must make a DC 15 con saving throw, become blinded for one minute. A blinded target may repeat the save at the end of their turn, ending the target on a success. Pretty good. AoE blind. Now, how many grenades do I give the players? Copy and paste these rules. And that will be a pretty damn good loot haul. 
They're already getting two laser pistols and three laser rifles. How many grenades do I want to get? My initial plan, uh, which I thought I wrote down. Did I not write down the treasure? I put it in the other one. Uh, let's see. I was going to say 1d4 plus 1 for each grenade. So not a whole lot, but some. I always like making players roll for um, loot that can be in multiples also. So anywhere between 2 and 5. Gives you enough to play with, right? <laughs> there you go. That's a pretty good amount of grenades. Now, it doesn't have the cool dynamite thing where you can tie them together and go, although I'm sure uh, my dear players will try and figure out a way to do that. <laughs> I just combine all of them more. No more than 10, yeah. So I think that's good. 1d4 plus 1 of the frag grenades and 1d4 plus 1 of the flashbang grenades which technically has a chance of getting 10. So I think that would be, which is a lot of grenades. Or you have a chance of getting four, anywhere between four and 10 total grenades. Um, half which do damage and half which have a blind feature, which blind pretty damn strong, by the way. And I think my players already have good ways of doing blind anyway, because I think it's the Shardlin arrows that Thimbleweed uses that does blind. But I don't believe they have an AOE blind. And that's not all. There are more loot, which... I could use or not use from it ascendant because this is already a lot and I already said I don't need to give my players that much loot but I like it <laughs> I know my players do uh, if you look at the actual so one thing is one of the ceramorphs carries a pacifier rod which I was gonna picture as like a stun stick although um, I don't think I did actually make that one maybe not let's actually click it see Okay, this is what I, I redid this one. The original one is um, using an action to press the button causes the rod to emit a chirp. Any creature within 30 feet of the rod that isn't deaf and has intelligence of 3 or lower must succeed on a DC 13 con save or be incapacitated for a minute. But then there's a 25% chance the rod just breaks. Seems pretty strong. You can basically um, knock out any beast of intelligence 3 or lower, which is kind of scary because I think we determined the Remoraz actually would qualify as this, and that would be fucking terrifying to me if the players were able to pull that off. <laughs> so my idea was instead to make it a, like a stun stick, like a uh, cattle prod, basically, uh, which is to, you have to make a melee weapon attack without proficiency bonus, and I could do the uh, intelligence rules for this one as well, even have to operate this thing. If it hits, the pacify rod deals 1d6 lightning damage, and the target must make a DC 13 con save or be stunned for one minute. Stunned being not quite as bad as incapacitated, I think, although I've complained before about how there's just too many conditions. Incapacitated is can't take reactions or reactions. Nope, I'm wrong. Incapacitated is not as bad as stunned. Stunned is worse. Stunned is you can, you're incapacitated and attack rolls against you have advantage, and you automatically fail strength and deck saves. How... Okay, I hate the fact that incapacitated means you can still move. You just can't take reactions or reactions. Whereas stunned, you are incapacitated, can't move, and only speak only falteringly. So I actually made that more powerful. Maybe I should change it to incapacitated. Or I can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn. And then I added upon a critical hit, the target automatically fails the save. On a critical fail, the wielder must make the DC 13 con save or become stunned to themselves. I'm probably going to change that to capacity then because I thought stunned was not as bad. Or I could just not give them this because it's already probably too powerful. 
But they do have to be in melee range and succeed on a uh, melee weapon attack without their proficiency bonus. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that one? And then, that's so that's just what one of the Saramorphs had on them. And then there's actually a proper loot table with things that they can get, which is in one of the back rooms, um, which I like the alien flavor of these things. There's Eyes of Minute Seeing and Helm of Telepathy. This thing is full of loot. Why would the rod do damage? Ah, that's a good point. I could have it not do damage. Maybe it does like one lightning damage? I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you're getting struck by that, you would take some damage, but maybe not. You're right. <laughs> we can eliminate the damage. It hits. Okay, let's eliminate the damage, see what that looks like. It hits the target, must make a DC 13 con saver, become incapacitated. So the only thing I'm changing then is the fact that uh, you have to make a melee weapon attack versus just turning it on and having it affect... Uh, well, actually, I'm changing quite a bit of it, aren't I? I'm changing the fact that it's not just beasts, though. I could make it so it's just beasts. Or I, I could limit it to humanoids. No, but they're not just dealing with... Well, they kind of are just dealing with humanoids for the most part. That might be too limiting, though. Or I could just not do it because the players have tons of tools as it is. Uh, so this one is any creature within 30 feet of the rod. So in my case, you have to be in melee range. And this one is only affects creatures and intelligence of three or lower. So in my case, it would be a melee weapon attack without proficiency bonus that still has to hit. Which for most people is going to be, what is just their strength modifier? Or going to a DC 13 saving throw or become incapacitated for one minute. I could say it has to be a medium or smaller target. Or I could say that if a target is large literally of the larger or bigger size, then maybe they can advantage on the save because it's harder to take down a bigger creature. I'm looking forward to how they weaponize the face-hugging squidlings. They'll probably forget about them, but uh, yeah, that could be. <laughs> you know, I thought they'd weaponize their, uh, the, the quaggath and the egg thing. Talk about something that was rolling around for a while and never actually went anywhere. And that, again, that's just something that you give to the players and ends up kind of petering out. But uh, they had acquired that from Karkaloke and had dragged it with them for a, a lot of the campaign and it several times mentioned the fact that they still had it so they were remembering about it. They had this um, basically Quaggath inside of this thing that they could open up and I really thought at the end they would um, you know use it or unleash it just to see what would happen but they were just like ah let's just let it burn with the wagon. <laughs> I was like alright that's fine. <laughs> fine then you don't want to play around with it. So I'm of, I don't know, I'm, I'm torn on, uh, I don't like the original one. It feels too powerful. But maybe I could use the, I, there is the 25% chance the rod, so that is an important one. You have to roll a d4 afterwards, and on a 1, um, it breaks and becomes inoperable. So that's pretty big, too. You wouldn't use it willy-nilly. Each. Action, roll a 1d4. On a 1, the rod breaks and becomes inoperable. Mm, 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 mm. But yeah, I could add the provision that maybe larger creatures have an advantage on the save. Yeah, my players have so many ways to like debuff creatures as it is, it just makes me nervous to give them another one, which means maybe I won't. I'm of two minds of that. They're already getting pistols, they're getting the laser rifle, they're getting the grenades. Um, 
And I could give them the damn other loot that's in this table, which is the eyes of my newt seeing the helm of telepathy. I especially like that the helm of telepathy is a slimy coif made from a living space slug. I like the fact that these are very like organic, gross things you don't necessarily even want to touch, but yet they give you cool magic item benefits. Telepathy one, um, you have to attune to it, but while wearing it, you can use an action to cast a detect thought spell. I believe as much as you want. It's like at will, which is pretty big. I think that's a second or third level spell, second level. Uh, and then if you have, if you're focusing on a creature with detect thoughts, you can use an action to then cast suggestion to target that creature, and then that you can only do once per day, but obviously Suggestion is a very fun, cool spell. So I'm kind of tempted to give this to the players, but I also see nobody saying they necessarily want to use it. Um, because how often do you need to use Detect Thoughts and then Suggestion? And frankly, I think Valravin already has Suggestion built in, so if they need that capability, he would just be able to cast it. And they're at a level now where you've got plenty of spell slots to be able to cast pretty much whatever spells that you want, Suggestion being a level 2 spell. So that one might seem cool, but also fall by the wayside. But I don't know, maybe somebody will be like, oh, yeah, I want to be able to read minds. I mean, I, I think that's really cool. But, I, I, you know, I gave that ability to Celeste early on when she had the Psy Crystal and, like, never used the telepathy thing. So it's just kind of, again, one of those things that you throw to the players and see if they're interested or not. Um, I like that one more than the Eyes of Minute Sings because I think we use the uh, the eyes, I mean... Let's see, you see, you have advantage on investigation checks that rely on sight. It's very, very niche, and I believe I gave uh, the player, uh, Manic specifically, a version of these in our last campaign that included this plus, like, other functionalities. So we got different lenses he could pop in uh, that gave him advantage on different checks, so. It just seems a little lame, but it's not attunement, so maybe players would be like, uh, yeah, I might as well take these. So I guess I could see that. Sticky metal monocle with a kaleidoscope lens. <laughs> Although this one's just metal. Like it, hmm. I guess you could have a one that's organic and one that's more like a gnomish invention. So that I could I could probably give the players these two things. The rod I'm less uh enthusiastic about just because we've also got all these freaking guns and things that the players are gonna get. Which is a lot of loot. That they can go through. Um, the only one that's actually attunable being the Helm of Telepathy. Why would the Ron do? Yeah. I oh, sorry, I was looking up there. I agree, JT. Yeah. So that we changed that one, but I, I'm tempted to not actually give them the rod now after after all that work because uh, it just seems like too much to be able to incapacitate a creature, even if I make it super limiting. Although I guess the whole you have to roll one d four afterwards and see if it breaks. Um, would be a limitation. And the fact that you have to make the roll without your proficiency bonus. Another thing you have to use without proficiency bonus. Man, I said we were going to talk about Sky Tower Shelter. We haven't even gotten there yet. Holy crap. Um, so, Sky Tower Shelter. I think I need to work on the dynamic lighting of this map. Um, maybe you could include a random encounter with griffins. I don't think they're meant to attack the party. But they serve as a warning for sure. Let's see. Right to the mountains. Six griffins circle the mountain's peak. Watch the causeway closing their eyesight is sharp enough to pierce the clouds frequently shroud the mountaintop. 
They see unfamiliar figures ascending the causeway. The griffins shriek warnings to the Goliaths of Sky Tower Shelter. The Goliaths quickly arm themselves, expecting trouble. So they actually start off straight up hostile, which... Uh, I don't necessarily want to force a combat encounter here, but maybe I can tease one, especially if the players start like firing at griffins or something. We can definitely start a combat encounter. If Kapunik is with them, he will certainly poo-poo that because that would be very bad for the Goliath relations. So if that way, let me roll hit points. Uh, but I don't want this necessarily to be combat. This is, should be a just a tense social scene as the players meet a Goliath tribe, which is not so friendly. Can't dynamic lighting because I believe this one is the same problem the other one is being dark. And the players are supposed to mediate a truce. Yeah, it should not be that dark. It'll be kind of dark, but not that dark. And they will be able to do that by going on another mission for these Goliaths. Copy that. Yeah, good old-fashioned monster hunts. Right, so light it up there. Light it up there. Light it up there. Uh, this is still lit up back here. Okay, so that's all light. This should be light, but this is probably less light. Yeah, so let's make that a 2020. Another campfire right there. There. Okay, so I think that should fix the lighting problems. There we go. That's actually really lit up, probably more than I meant it to be. Should it get darker in here? Let's see. That light lights things up pretty well. It's a little dark in some places. Not attached to the other. Okay, what a weird cave. This one's not as well built as the other one. That's a whole path, and then this is a whole path. So this should be, I think this is, I need to use the two-way dynamic lighting here. Monster hunt with new laser rifles and grenades. Yeah, I know. I'm going to throw a Rimaraz at them, so it'll be all good. This going to be a fairly darkened path down here. Well, that's a weird effect, I guess, because that's the light coming from the other one. Boy, that barrier really... Okay, that does work. I want to actually give that down. How big is that barrier supposed to be? S2? A 10-foot-tall barricade. All right, fair enough. Gaps in the gate light is the unusually tall figure. Okay. Let's remake this barrier and create some gaps, then. That can be one line... There. Now you can see. There we go. That's a little bit better. You can see a barrier without it being like full on wall. I mean, maybe it'll start off as combat. I don't know. I thought the players would want to be more diplomatic here. And what is going on here? S7. This is Shrine of Strength and Honor. Maybe it's N9. There's like a hole that goes down. Oh, the chute leads to area. S9, if clients are in there, character, loud cheers coming from there. Behind it, a five foot diameter shoot with carved footholds ascends to another cavern. Yeah, so this needs to be dynamic lighting as well. Kind of do it like that so you can kind of see something going on there. Okay, so now let's see if that fixes. So from here, 
There we go. You can kind of see a little cliff without seeing beyond it. And if you do go beyond it, you can see... Although you wouldn't really be able to see because it's a, still a shoot, so it's actually not two-way. Um, I don't think. Or is it? Is it supposed to be a cliff? Or is it a wall? Or does this really matter? <laughs> Cavalier, the sound of meat cooking, great. Sound of cheering goes again. Blast, large rock in each arm. It's just holding rocks. Rock holding contest. Earn to respect the Goliaths in the cave. That respect can grow into friendship. Right, the characters have done nothing that would turn the Goliaths against them. Which is just rolling continued athletics, which is pretty funny. I like that the DC starts at five, increases every minute. Like that's uh, it's almost like a drinking contest, but just holding rocks out. That's the that's what they do versus the uh, the goat ball, I guess. I'm going to do the join the clan thing to fray. So I've, I've talked a little bit about on Monday's stream about um, how perhaps one of the chieftains will recognize the axe that she's got and say, like, that was my son's axe. What are you doing with that? And then, you know, she has a chance to explain herself. And then perhaps at that point we can have uh, one of the Goliaths uh, even challenge her to, uh, you know, like a wrestling match or something. But then, regardless of that, the uh, the chieftain will say, you know, you've all done much, and maybe you've earned this, but you need to be seen as a Goliath in our eyes. So you need to go through that tunnel that's in Wormdoom Crag, which they have to make a, I think it's a wisdom save and a charisma save in order to make it through successfully. Um, and then they can officially become Goliaths of the tribe and then basically earn the respect. But, you know, I'm willing to play around with that depending on how the players do their role-playing and everything there. But I, I do want to create some uh, tension. It should be some interesting social developments. When they get to this place, however, um, the tension will be that the Goliaths are very hostile to outsiders, especially if they start, if the players start mentioning the fact that they're here on behalf of uh, the Thunkalakaga tribe, then uh, that would make them more suspicious. And they'll just have to deal with that um, social scene of trying to mediate. Because our goal is not to defeat, you know, one Goliath side or the other. Um, or at least it shouldn't be. Unless they can come up with something else and say, like, look, we need to deal with it. And and maybe the Chieftain, what I could do is have the Chieftain of Wormroom Crag say, like, look, you need to either mediate this or destroy the other Goliaths. Either one works for me. Whereas Kapunuk will be like, you know, he, he'll be the... Um, the beast from X-Men character. I'm when rewatching all the X-Men cartoons and, and in the comics, he's this way too, with all of the big, you know, in humans versus X-Men, everything beast is always like, look, we need to find a way to get together and stop this and not, you know, he's the, the bleeding heart. Uh, and, and he will be the character who's like, no, I don't want to go to war with, you know, my fellow Goliaths, even though they're a different tribe, I would rather see this come together. And, uh, you know, I've proposed doing a big winter games festival like we used to do uh, in decades past. And that would be uh, his his plan. But and maybe the players, seeing it out how hostile these Goliaths are, they'll be like, fuck it, we can just attack these guys, intimidate them and everything else. Um, I will do my best to have uh, Kapunuk join the party and, and act as kind of the voice of reason there if the players aren't already um, inclined for that. Uh, otherwise, oh, there's another one of these shoot things here I'm going to make. Um, but maybe there will be a little bit of fight here, but also a chance, you know, the players could always, you, know, you could do combat and not, and not kill, right? That's technically always a part of it. You could, uh, you know, knock people out or just kind of beat them until they surrender. So that's 
probably something that's more likely to happen um, versus just straight up a slog of a combat encounter here, which I don't see happening at all. Yeah. Um, and then there's a little bit where they can technically learn about griffins and help with griffins. Then we could do a little thing about griffins over here and help them out. Uh, but otherwise, they'll just learn from the chieftain. They'll get like the other half of the story, which basically both Goliath tribes feel slighted about this event that happened in the past, and it's why they're at each other's throats. But then the the chieftain will get the uh, give them the players the quest to say, "Hey, we've been dealing with this uh, young dragon threat in the mountain. You know, we get them every once in a while. We know that our other." Uh, the the ones at Wormdom Crag, literally they've got that cool white dragon skeleton in there, and we know that we can take on a dragon no problem. Um, and they've been sending, uh, they, they sent a force of their, like, you know, strongest warriors up there, and they have yet to return. That was a couple days ago, or maybe a week ago, I don't know. Um, and so they'll send the players up there to basically investigate and see what's going on there. And then, as, a, as if they said that if they do that, then they will agree to the mediation by doing that. Or you can kill the other Goliath tribe. But basically I'm giving the players a way to solve this quest in the best possible uh, condition and still give them a pretty fun monster hunt adventure on top of that. Uh, but we've got plenty more time to talk about the Goliaths. I don't... It'll be interesting because you know, when we're dungeon crawling or we're fighting you know, you can kind of anticipate how long it's going to take. But when you've just got a bunch of social scenes set up I have no idea how much progress we're going to make. So it'll be very interesting to see if we make it through all of Wormdoom Crag, or if we're just still discussing things at Wormdoom Crag, maybe we make it to Sky Tower Shelter and have those scenes. Um, so it'll be a lot of you know note taking for me to have dialogue prepped and and all of that. But I don't see us making it beyond Sky Tower Shelter certainly by uh, the end of next session. And there's a chance we might even make it to Sky Tower Shelter next session. Just really depends on you know how much we do with our social scenes, but. Uh, I believe that is going to do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Adam, Stan, William, I'm Loud, Brandon, Genocider, David Eclectic, Role Player Role, Christopher, and Dig Dug DM, and Gold Patrons, RPG Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, sorry, I clicked off my thing. Oh, no. Dead Lizard Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Humanoid-Sized Sphincters, uh, and Stephanie. Thank you all very much for your support. I'll see you for D&D. night.